This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 337. Hello, everybody. We are super excited to be doing another one of these shows. We are back from PAX East, and we've got lots of fun content for you. But first, let's talk about who we are. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I am joined by my lovely, wonderful, amazing, and shockingly patient with me <laughs> wife, Anitra. That's me. Never before has she so <laughs> eagerly self-identified <laughs> as this week. We do have some interviews from PAX East, second half of the show. That's going to be our interviews for this one. So it's just the two of us for the first half, everybody. But don't worry. We've got all sorts of interesting stuff. We have some for science for you. We've got some games that we've been playing. But we're going to start it all off with a fact. Actually, too. Yeah. So I looked up a fact for Mm -hmm. 337. The year 337, Common Era is the year that Constantine the Emperor died. His sons split up the Roman Empire into three parts later that year, and um, things went downhill from there. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. My fact is a little bit more modern <laughs> than yours, and this is about the Tree of Life at Disney World. Now, you've in seen the Tree Animal of Life. Kingdom, right? Yes, it's yeah. in Animal Kingdom. It's got a big moat around it, basically, or it's in the middle of a lake, however you want to yeah. you, know, you can't touch it. it. Yeah, you can't get to it. But anyway... The fact is that 10 artists and three Imagineers worked full-time for 18 months to create the 337 animal carvings on the Tree of Life. Sculptors had between 5 to 8 hours to create each finished animal image before the plaster hardened. Wow. So, next time you go to Disney World, see how many of those 337 animals you can find. All right, cool. And if you can remember the ones that you had seen and not seen, <laughs> yeah, right, like I think that's Need, almost like a the checklist. hardest part. Yeah, totally. And I don't even know. I bet you there's a bunch that are done small enough that you can't even really see them without like binoculars or something. Probably. But I don't know. Whatever. Leave it to the mouse to overdo everything. Detail. <laughs> Secret is in the details. Oh, sure, sure, sure. All right, and we have a message from our sponsor, First Move Financial. So we're going to continue on the theme from last week when we talked about how board games are covered by homeowners or renters insurance. So let's address the should part of the question. Should you get separate coverage? With any risk, you have four options. Here's how to think about them. If the chance of the risk happening is low and the consequences are low, you can simply accept the risk. For example, paper cuts, although they are annoying, should not impact how you live your life. Next are risks where the chance of it happening is low and the consequences are high. For example... Jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. You should avoid that risk. Yeah, I think that maybe you should avoid that one. I yeah. think I would agree yeah. with our friends at First Move Financial on that. Yeah. The third category are risks that have a high probability of happening, but the consequences are small. With these, you can take steps to mitigate either the frequency or the impact of the risk. For example, things like taking a defensive driving course to prevent the likelihood of getting a speeding ticket. Finally, there are risks that have a high probability and a high impact if they happen. These are the risks that you really want to transfer by getting insurance. 
So you need to consider if the potential loss of your game library has a high probability of happening, say if you store them in your garage or in a basement, and if the loss would be significant. For example, if you have an original signed copy of Sid Saxon's Cosmic Encounter, (laughs) then you likely want to make sure it's covered by insurance. You may still want some of it covered if the probability is low and the loss would be significant. But if your loss wouldn't be significant, then you can simply mitigate the risk. First Move Financial does not sell insurance, but they can help point you in the right direction and help you interpret the policies you currently have. To schedule a call with First Move, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a time to talk. Thanks so much to the team at First Move for sponsoring the show. So let's talk about some of the things we've been playing. Yes. My thought here is let's talk about some of the things from PAX East that we don't have interviews for. Oh, of course. That makes a ton of sense. You interviewed Max at Resonim, but one of the games that you did not talk about that we both got a chance to look at is a game called Avant Card. Yeah, so this is still uh, very late in the prototyping stage, we'll say. Yes. They're hoping it'll come to market in about the next year or Mm so. This was a really cool deck building game with shades of Uno. (laughs) yeah i mean for me i think the thing that got me first was the presentation the way this game was displayed to me was and and i asked max as we played like is this the way that it is this is the plan yeah yeah and and it is is that there's like four of these smaller boxes which are like tuck boxes but like half the width of a tuck box and you unroll the box basically and every flip of the box exposes another stack of cards, right? And so as you unroll all of these three or four various boxes, you kind of line them up and that creates both a, there's four, you know, that are like your starting player deck. So you would just pick one of them and that would become your starting player deck. And then the other ones, you kind of line them up and they become the two, three, four, five, six, and seven, I think, number cards that you can draft from as you're building your deck. They they become the whole, the whole market and the player aids. Yeah, it's just super smart just the way that they put all of this together. Like, this is very much like an industrial design thing that I really, yeah, it, really like. It's a really cool way to organize up a card game so that you have everything you need to start playing when you open the box. Yep. You don't have to like, oh, I need to take this thing and shuffle it. And I need to separate out this thing. And no, it separates everything out for you already. You basically are doing the setup when you put the game away, which is great. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that you would take each of the stacks once you lay it all out and you have the twos through the sevens and you would maybe shuffle each stack and just put it back down in its place. But there's no, like, sorting or anything. And honestly, you don't really have to do that because this isn't a game that is going to kind of force you to sequence things together in a way that when you put it away, they're, you know, all the twos or something. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really make a difference. And then at the end of the game, you just separate out the starter cards, which go in the starter thing, and then each of the numbers go in the number things, and you're done. And you just roll it back up, and you're done. So I really, really liked that part of the game. Do you want to talk about kind of how the game works? So we said it's a deck builder with Shades of Uno. The way you play... Everyone plays their cards out simultaneously. I think you have seven or nine. You have a a relatively large number in your hand. So you start with a deck of 14 cards, but with seven in your hand. Okay. From those seven cards in your hand, you try to lay out a sequence of cards that works like 
playing Uno with yourself. That's mm-hmm. the easiest way to explain it. Yep. You're trying to match numbers or colors and lay out as many of those seven cards as you can because once everybody is done laying out their cards, the number of cards you've laid out basically is your money to buy new cards with. So at the beginning of a turn, all of the players that are playing are looking at their cards and kind of self-arranging those cards in their hand to figure out how to lay them. So it's not like a game like Scout where you get them the way that they are in your hand. Yeah, you are no, literally you're arranging it all. Rearranging and trying to figure this thing out. Then at the end, whoever I think whoever has you know more income because they've laid more cards out gets to draft cards from this center stack first. There's a first player token yeah. that rotates around. So the first or player something like that. Whatever, buys whatever. and then the second player. But whatever. I think it I yeah. think it rotates based on who had the most money the last turn or something. Uh, maybe. It, it's related to that in some way. I don't remember what it is. It might change too. <laughs> yeah. So each of the different card numbers that you would draft have special abilities. Like I think it's the fours. No, it's the twos. Whoever has the most twos gets an extra air quote dollar, dollar quote unquote yeah. you know added on to their income and then the fours is something like if you like the fours are wilds so you can either change the number to a different number or the color to a different color and then once you have some fours in your deck then you're really starting to think when you're, you're sequencing with your fire. stuff out because yeah. you can change you know go back and forth and, and whatever uh, but they you know they're all different and there's a starting set of powers that are in that tuck box, like you mentioned, as you unroll it, but there's a whole set of cards that are extra that can change that, those. That can change up those powers. To so vary that it. you'll yeah. get more replayability, like mm-hmm. something like a Quacks or something like that, where you can mix and match and make it work however you want. Mm-hmm. Importantly, this is a deck building game that does have ways to cull unwanted cards out of your deck. And believe me, you will start the game with some unwanted cards <laughs> that don't match anything. Mm-hmm. You have to start with a one that's black. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this card is useless. Thank you for Yeah, that. We really like the way it worked out. Basically, the other thing you get if you can build out a large hand on your turn is that if you pass certain milestones, you get these little reward cards. Yeah, so and if you think about... Dominion, which is kind of the classic yeah. deck builder, right? So these are like the duchies. These are just cards that are worth points. Each one is just one point, but you earn them at six cards, eight cards, 12 cards, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and, can earn more, right? So like, right. if you have 18 cards that you've played out, you can actually get three for getting up to 12 and then another one for getting six more than that. Yeah. Depending on the player count, there's a starting number of these like victory point reward cards or whatever you want to call them. When that runs out, that's the end of the game. Yep. And then literally just whoever has the most victory point cards Mm -hmm. wins. So I really like the way everything fit together in this. The actual playing of it was relatively simple, but it merges together. Like, yes, you want better cards. You want to do better, longer runs. But while you're doing those longer runs, you also want to do things that help you get more of the point cards and maybe deny point cards to your opponents and things like that. So, Yeah, it's really smart. This is one of those games that feels really good to play. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I like the simultaneous player action stuff. The whole process of thinking out the sequencing is simultaneous. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Quacks in that way where all the play is simultaneous and then the buying part is sequenced and then you move on. Yep, exactly. So I think I actually said on Twitter that it was like Dominion meets Quacks and uh, a couple people were like, yep, I have playtested that and I totally agree (laughs) with you. 
So if you like those two games, you will like Avant Card, which will be coming from Resident probably near the end of the year. Yeah. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. I also got a couple of chances to play Starry Night Sky, designed by Emma Larkins. The first time I played was with Emma Larkins, which was really cool, learning from the designer. But then later on in the day, I turned around and showed it to somebody else who picked it up in like the free play area of Tabletop. Sure. This is a neat game. We're going to be talking about it a ton more because we got a copy for review. Mm, which I have not played yet. Okay. I will say this, though. The box art is gorgeous. The box itself like, is it gorgeous. It is visually arresting. Like, you see it and you stop yes. and you look at yes. it. Yes. The game is nice and pretty, but the box is way prettier than the game. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm looking forward to playing Star Night Sky. Yeah. You want to talk about it more or do you um, want to wait until we've both played we'll wait, it? We'll wait until we've both played okay. it. Okay. I also learned how to play Next Station London. Beep, beep. So this is a flip and write card game that uses a couple of things that I haven't seen put together before. So one of the things is that you've got a little bit of player interaction, not exactly, but weird, because you're using multiple colors in drawing these little train routes. And when a round ends, you have to pass your colored pencil to the next person. So the colored pencils are getting passed around the table. Other than that, there were elements of it that felt very much like a Metro X or any other really route building game. But you've got all kinds of incentives, I should say, for where you want your routes to go and how you want them to get there and meeting up different colors as often as possible so you can make these little useful little stations, you know, where multiple routes meet those get you lots of points. But you also want to, you know, cover as much of the map as possible and all that sort of stuff. So it's a big balancing act. I really liked the kind of decisions that it made me make because also lines are not allowed to overlap except if you go through a station. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, that tracks. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I'm so funny. So it was a more complex game than I was expecting it to be, but I really, really liked it. If anybody out there enjoys your your route building, flip and write kind of games, this is definitely one to keep an eye out for, Next Station London. I think once you've played it a couple of times, it probably loses a lot of that, like, wait, what am I doing that I had? But also I learned it being thrown feet first into a random game tournament. (laughs) (laughs) So I really was just like, uh, uh, what am I doing? But I enjoyed it nonetheless. I've got two more games to talk about that I played at PAX East, but they're not like specific to PAX East. While I was there, I met up with some friends and they picked up from the tabletop free play library. Imagine Mm-hmm. which I think we talked about years and years ago when it was new from Game Right. It's now out of print. But this was a cool clue-giving game with transparent cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it really easy to layer stuff together, make more complex images, and do, like, animations with them. Yeah, it's kind of like a Pictionary kind of a yeah. game. There was another game from, I think, 25th Century called Cloud Control, maybe, yes. that was very reminiscent of this. But yes. I think the clear cards make it, a much better play experience. Well, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Cloud Control only had nine different shapes on the cards. (laughs) Imagine almost every card was different. There were two copies of a couple, but almost every card of the like 
I don't know, 30 something cards that were in there were all different from each other. And so you could come up with really creative ways to combine them. But also we found out that this is one of those games where you look at a clue card and you're like, oh yeah, I totally got that. And then it turns out to be really, really hard to get people on the same wavelength with you. Movies in particular as a category was just impossible. (laughs) The other one that they picked up on a whim was Strike. I think you've talked about Strike before. I had actually never played it until I was in that random game tournament uh, when I learned how to play. And now that I've played Strike, I am going to recommend it to families in general. This is a great, fun dice game with, you know, some pressing your luck and a lot of those, you know, groan, hold your breath kind of moments. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic dice checker in that way, right? But it's an abstract, so... It's not like a dice chucker that's wrapped in like a big long dungeon crawl yeah, no. kind of thing. So when the dice don't go your way, you feel like you've wasted two hours. You know what I mean? It, this is just the dice chucking part. You literally it. chuck the dice into the arena. If they're X's, they get removed from the game. And if you have numbers that match, you get to keep all of the dice that have numbers that match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's 80% of the game already. Right. Yep. <laughs> I only have one other game that I really want to talk about. I've played some stuff, some stuff with you that I think you're probably mentioned, but I did get a chance today to pull out Kapow and play it with Asher. This is a game that we picked up for review from Wise Wizard Games at PAX East. I don't know how long Kapow has been around. It feels like an older game. It says 2023 on BGG. I think it's a new game, yeah. But it definitely feels like something that's been around for a little while. So Kapow is really interesting because in Kapow, you have dice that have changeable faces, sort of like a dice forge kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But the game is 100% a dueling game, almost like a dice throne. Okay. Okay. So you have a player screen to hide what you're doing. You have a player board. And on the player board, you roll your starting dice And you allocate them on your player board depending on what you want to do. So you have an attack column, which has base attacks, attack kickers, and then attack multipliers. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you've got three rows, three sections of of rows. Then you've got defense, base defense, defense kickers, defense multipliers. Mm -hmm. Again, same thing. And then you've got these other special things. And they're all sorts of stuff. And so you roll all your dice, and then you allocate them on your board. So no re-rolling or anything. Just... There is a place where you can put a die to re-roll another die. Okay. But it's not like a lot of the classic sure, games sure. where it's re-roll up to three times sure. kind of thing. You have to actually spend to re-roll. Well, and part of that is because you're putting new faces on the dice, right? So Sure. So yeah. where you allocate your dice matter. So you and your opponent are doing this at the same time. Once you say, okay, I'm done, and the other person says, okay, I'm done, you remove your player screen, everybody can see everything. And whoever has the first player token, I'll talk about that in a sec, they go first. They say, okay, I'm attacking for whatever, and that's going to be the calculation of their base attack plus Mm -hmm, their attack mm -hmm. kickers plus their attack multipliers. And then the other person says, okay, I'm defending for whatever my defense is, which is base defense plus kickers Mm -hmm, plus multipliers. mm -hmm. The difference, if it's more attack than defense... The player takes that damage. Sure. It's very simple. Then you go in the other direction. Okay, well, here's my attack. Okay, here's my defense. That's it. Then you evaluate your power-ups on both sides. And then some of the 
I don't think any of the attacks allow you to add faces, but a lot of the defense stuff and a lot of the power-up stuff will say add one non-wild face or add three non-wild faces. Or some of the more expensive things will allow you to add a face, which is wild. Or you could add a trait die, which are just the various colored dice that the red one is more weighted toward attack, the blue one's more weighted toward defense, whatever. Or add an action die. The action dice are the ones with the changeable faces. Okay. Right? Okay. That's pretty much the game. It's a very fast game. Like, there's a lot of icons in this game. And so, like, that first 20 minutes is pretty daunting because you're like, okay, what is this? But, like, much like a mixing board, like an audio mixing board where you realize, oh, it's just 25 of the same thing and I can focus on one. Okay, I've got it all straightened out. Sure, sure, sure. Right. And there's other complexities involved. But, like, once you kind of cordon off these sections and understand them in the right areas, it all makes sense, and it moves very quickly. Now, we didn't play with the asymmetric player powers. Like, you could actually play as different characters, and they have different stuff that goes along with them. This is really just us kind of getting started with the game. But, I mean, it was a lot of fun, and I barely beat Asher, but he enjoyed it. I mean, it's a battle game, right? So it's got that sense of, like, a magic where it's like, okay, well, certain things might not have worked out quite as well for me this time. I'll get you next time, buddy. Sure, you know what sure. I mean? It's got that feel mm-hmm. to it, so it's kind of okay. I'm really interested to see how this works out with some of those asymmetric player powers. I don't know if I'm going to end up with, you know, my favorites or whatever. But I was really really impressed with how fast this game is because even a game like dice throne can kind of drag sometimes because there's this whole like card mechanic with action points and blah, yeah. blah. like this just doesn't do any of that stuff it's just super fast roll some dice deal some damage move on to the next thing roll some dice deal some damage move on to the next thing and i really like that about this game it's really really good in that regard i think that at the end of the day this game is simpler than a dice throne sure So that's Kapow from Wise Wizard. Asher really enjoyed playing this one. I am sure if you said, hey, Ash, would you show me how to play Kapow? He would say, yes. Okay. So, yeah, that's that. Well, our daughter asked me to play Azul and was very specific. She's like, no, no, no. Asher, you can't play. I want to play two-player Azul. And I kicked her butt. (laughs) (laughs) I did not go easy on her. It reminded me that Azul is one of those games where you totally can hate draft and say, I'm going to take this simply because you want it. But it's also the kind of game where doing that more than like once really hurts you. So you're more likely to prioritize how you take tiles if you're really getting into playing. So I once or twice took something that she wanted, but was a relatively low priority for me because I knew that what I wanted she didn't care about. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's how you play Azul. Yeah, so she she got a little salty about me doing that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I was like, well, that, that's how it goes sometimes. Yep. Uh, we also played some more Her Story. Celebrating Women's History Month. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have been talking of this game to basically everyone. Yeah, it's a great game. I mean, the great sale's over, but it's still a great game, and it still provides a ton of value, and I really, really like that. I feel like saying literally anybody will learn something about women's history from this game. Well, and for anybody who might be worried like, oh, this is an educational game, these women are presented as being notable and important, not good or bad, just this is a woman that maybe you should know about. I like that kind of presentation. Also, I've been playing a bunch of boop, uh, (laughs) and we're going to talk about that in our Snap Review. Yeah, we played the boop out of boop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
And that's it. All right. Do you want to do the monthly report? Yeah, mine is embarrassing, like super embarrassing. This month has been weird. Just hit it. Uh, I have 28 plays of 24 games in the month. Okay. My H index is two. Those games are Across America, Flux, and Boop. Okay. (laughs) I have 58 plays of 38 games. I don't even... What? (laughs) I played a lot of games on the day that you were at PAX East with the kids. And just every once in a while, that sort of thing happens where I have a day where I play like five or six games. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The past week has not been great. This was all earlier in the month. Sure. I have an H index of three, but there are five games that I played at least three times. There are no game I played more than three times. All right. I played Dice Cards, Across America Flux, Ecosystem Coral Reef, Strike, as previously mentioned. Sure. And... Heist, one team, one mission, which is now leaving our house. But, but I was but I was happy to play it those last three times. Sure. Yeah, I have Across America Flux, Boop, and Ecosystem Coral Reef at, at, at least know, more two. than one. <laughs> sure, sure. And that's pretty much it. So sad month for me. Very. That's really kind of pathetic. I mean, I guess it's good that I played like 24 different games yeah. out of 28 plays, but you know, yeah. whatever. Let's move on and do a four science. Yes. So, (laughs) I don't know. We haven't done one in a while. This is probably not something that I would have picked up for science normally. But the opportunity presented itself. But the opportunity like threw itself at us and we were able to support a charity at the same time. So, we've seen the Reese's with Pieces. We've seen the Reese's with Pretzels. We've seen the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups with potato chips. Yeah, those were weird. And now we have a new one. This is... Man, they are really selling this one. Reese's Big Cup with Reese's Puffs. Yeah. So So it's got the Reese's Puffs cereal, I guess, inside the peanut butter filling? I don't know. We'll find out. So we're going to have to find a way to like break this one cup in half because I paid $2 for this thing because it was for a charity. I am not a big fan of the Reese's cereal. So I'm just getting that out there before we get started. All right. So we have now surgically broken this thing in half. I don't see anything other than peanut butter inside. Um, I see some slight chunks of something. Okay. Well, here we go. Other than the fact that I apparently forgot how to chew. It adds a slight bit of crunch. That's about it. So I feel like this is what I wanted the potato chips to be. You got your peanut butter in my peanut butter. Yeah, but it added a different kind of crunch. The Reese's Pieces in the peanut butter cup was weird because it was like a candy coated, like Mm. it was too much crunch. Sure. I'm actually kind of okay with this. Like this is actually pretty good. It's fine. I like it better than the potato chip one. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I think this is what they wanted the potato chip one to Mm, be because the texture addition, the crunch addition... Almost feels potato chippy, mm, but sure. like in a better way. Sure. Like, you know what I want next? I want Reese's peanut butter cups with Rice Krispies in them. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. So a little bit more crunch, but you still have that kind of melt away texture that yeah, you didn't yeah, yeah, have yeah. with the potato yeah. chips. Yeah. I think they're circling on something that can be a winner here. I really do. I am still a big fan of the big cup with pretzels in it. I think that's I fine. like that level of crunch. I am a big fan of straight Reese's peanut butter cups. I mean, yes. <laughs> You know what? We can have a little existential conversation about this because I always liked the idea of the Reese's Big Cup, but the plain Reese's Big Cup is too much peanut butter and not enough chocolate. So all of these Reese's Big Cups with something else in them have been a a worthwhile thing to try. 
Okay. I mean, I, I see what you're I think my issue with the Reese's Big Cup is not so much that it's too much peanut butter and not enough chocolate. I think that it is that you either get the edge, which has a lot of chocolate and not enough peanut butter, or you get the middle, which has a lot of peanut butter sure. and not enough chocolate. Sure. I think the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, the classic Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, is like the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. It's got just It's perfect, right? right? Yeah. Except it is Easter season, and those Reese's eggs, oh, man, man, man. man. They're unbelievable. The Reese's eggs are better than the Reese's trees, but the Reese's trees are also excellent. However, those two with the cups, like those are the three, like the standard cups, they're, they're the upper echelon. That's the, the trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a special exception for Kit Kats as a superior candy, and I don't really know why. <laughs> They've got that crunch that you that you wish the Reese's had, I guess. I guess so. Like, there's something really satisfying about a good Kit Kat, and like when I'm feeling particularly rebellious, I will open a Kit Kat and just take a bite out of it (laughs) because that's not how you're supposed to eat Kit Kats. How I eat Kit Kats. Like, I know they say there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's, but there is a wrong way to eat Kit Kats. And so (laughs) when I'm, you know, I mean, by the way, that's fair. This should tell everybody just how much of a rule follower I actually am. That I'm like. Yeah, I'm a bad man. Bite out of the side of a Kit Kat bar, right? Like that's how pathetic of a human being I am. To be fair, Kit Kat has had multiple ad campaigns showing you the right way to eat a Kit Kat bar. I mean, I just like, feel like it's give obvious. me a break, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat sure. bar. Like they have the indentations. That is where you break it, and then the individual stick is what you eat. Yes, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, the first time I just was like, you know what? No, I'm just gonna bite into this thing. You felt all rebellious. I literally felt rebellious. (laughs) Like, I looked at it, it was like... Sticking it to the man, like how dumb? <laughs> how you know? I mean, have you ever have you ever done something where you were embarrassed and you were home alone? Like yes. that's what this was like. Yes. I distinctly remember I was walking across the parking lot out of the Home Depot where I bought the Kit Kat bar because sometimes if I can uh, yep. fold in the uh-huh. purchase yep. of candy yep. Yep. with yep. my home improvement purchase, it's you know it works out for me. And that's I'm like what they call an across, impulse purchase. Yeah, I'm halfway across the parking lot and I'm like, mm, I want to bite this right now, and I bit into it and I looked at it and I it was you know not the way you're supposed to do it and I was like ooh I'm tough I'm walking at a Home Depot and I'm tough and then I sat down in the car and I was like I am such an idiot like what kind of a bonehead does some dumb thing like this I, I mean you, you answered your own question oh, I guess but yeah, it's me it, I'm the bonehead anyway I don't know listener have you ever just bitten into a Kit Kat I will freely admit that since becoming an adult that's the way I eat Kit Kats all the time. You savage. Yes. I, I don't even. Yes. Do I even know you? <laughs> You're learning all sorts of new things Oh my things goodness about me. gracious. <laughs> wow, I never knew you were so wild. <laughs> but yeah, I would actually love to know if people are like, rules? Who needs rules? Or whatever it is. Um, but I will say, you know, to wrap this up, the Reese's Puffs in the Big Cup is pretty okay. Yeah, I'm not against it, but I like other Reese's choices better. Okay. Well, there you go. I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. Kind of anticlimactic, but that's why we had the whole discussion about Kit Kats, (laughs) right? I I mean, that was a good discussion. But anyway, all right. So why don't we do this? We'll take a break. And when we come back, it'll be our interviews from PAX East. And then I think we'll uh, come back and wrap up the show. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. I just booped your snoop like a kitten 
Kittens are adorable. Kittens are jerks. <laughs> Especially to each <laughs> other. Especially to each other. This is a snap review for Boop, the game where cats and kittens bounce each other off the bed. Boop is a game for two players by Scott Brady and published by Smirk and Laughter Games. The box here says it's best for ages 10 plus and it plays in about 20 minutes. Anitra, the art. Let's talk about it. It's adorable. It is adorable. The components in this game are simple, but very cute. Open up the box, take out the two sets of tokens, then flip the box bottom over and lay the little quilted board on top. Voila! It's a bed! <laughs> the cats and the kittens are all wooden meeples with smiling faces and details like stripes and cute little white bellies. They're so cute! <laughs> so, like, the quilt and the cats are cute, but how do we actually play Boop? Well, the goal of Boop is to get three of your own cats in a row, horizontally, vertically, or diagonally. But you start the game with kittens, not cats. The way the game works is simple. Set one of your pieces anywhere on the board. If it's adjacent to any other kittens, it boops them away in a straight line. But if you can manage to get three kittens in a row, they turn into cats. Add the cats to your supply and remove those kittens from the game. Kittens can't boop cats, but cats can boop everyone. <laughs> You can keep upgrading kittens into cats, but every time you make a line of three with at least one kitten in it, the whole line is removed from the board. When one player manages to line everything up correctly and get their line of three cats, they immediately win the game. And that's it. It's pretty simple. So, Anitra, what did we expect from Boop? I liked the box art for Boop, but what really attracted me was the marketing that stated that Boop was a sort of successor to... Shobu, which I really love playing. And that's totally what this is. At its core, this is an abstract game. But it works really well with this theme, which is super adorable, and definitely makes a difference in your level of joy when you are playing. Two-player games get a lot of playtime in our family. And well-done abstract games like this or like Shobu will keep us coming back over and over. So I expected simple rules that would lead to some fairly deep thinking. So, Anitra, what surprised us about Boop? It's so cute! <laughs> I mean, is it really a surprise? But it is so cute! <laughs> and that cuteness hides that this is a cutthroat game that encourages you to be a jerk. Wait, is, is that why I'm so good at it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the rules about getting cats and how they're different from kittens are not completely intuitive, and they did trip us up once or twice. And you might miss a Boop in your first couple of plays. Although the box says 10 plus, I actually think younger kids can play this game. Like Checkers and many other abstract games, they're probably not going to be good at it. But being able to bounce cats across the bed can be its own reward. So, Andrew, would we recommend Boop? Absolutely. It's got a cute theme. It's got simple rules. And we think it'll even pull in the most reluctant of gamers as long as they have a soul and like things that are cute. You can try Boop right now on Board Game Arena, but it's also finally back on Amazon after being sold out. So look for it there, or give your friendly local game store a call. So, Anitra, what are we going to rate Boop from Spurk and Laughter Games? <laughs> We're going to give this adorable game four and a half cute cats out of five. And that's Boop in, in a snap. snap. with Alex from Amigo, and he's going to tell us about some of the new things that they've got for family gaming now. Sure. So 
Coming up in, a, in about uh, two months, once we get them in over here in the U.S., we have a re-release of Take 5 and No Thanks, a smaller format than we've been selling them here for a while. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we're releasing a game called Linko. The rest of the world knows it as a Bluxen. Okay. But a uh, simple card game, simply you play sets of cards and try to and, and look at other players to potentially steal their cards from their score piles. Super fun, been out for a number of years in Europe. Successful game, looking forward to having it here in the U.S. Okay. Uh, and that's going to be about a couple of months. That should be late spring, just before summer con season. Okay, cool. At the same time, we have a family game, uh, children's game coming out at the same time called Halligalli Circus. Uh, Halligalli Junior is what we called it in Germany. Uh, and it's a simple matching game. You look for clowns with the same uh, color face. And if that's the case, you jump on them and add them to your pile. So super cute. Uh, it's a part of our My First Amigo line, which are card games designed for three to five-year-olds. Oh, very cool. So that's coming out about that same time frame as well. The fall season is when we kind of save it for the hobby gamers. Uh, and our Gen Con releases include Unsolved, which is a mystery game by Frederick Morrison, same guy that did Saboteur. It's a whodunit solve it mystery game, but these are, it's all visual. So you're given pictures of a crime before, during, and after. And can you, from those pictures, figure out who did it, what they did it with, why they did it? Okay, cool. So uh, three mysteries in the box. So, you know, once you've played through it, you kind of have a sense of what the clues that you've seen but you'll see three of those within the box. Okay. Uh, second, we have a game called Pick a Pepper, which is a, a set collection game. You, you're collecting peppers to make hot sauces. Oh, uh, that's the one that was uh, Sauscharf in Sau Germany. Sauscharf in Germany, and we had a few that we sold at, at a BGG Con last year. So, yeah, that'll be out in English uh, called Pick a Pepper. And then finally, kind of a big deal for all the people that have ever said, hey, I wish Bonanza had a different art, that it had a little different thematic I, thing. I don't blame them, yeah. Bonanza Dahlias. So we were approached by Beth Sobel of Wingspan and yeah, Calico yeah, yeah. and all that, and who's a really big fan of Bonanza, wanted to work on a project with us, and this is what came out. So it is Dahlias, real-life Dahlias. We've been working with a Dahlia farm up in the northwest U.S. We've got these great illustrations of, of, of Dahlia flowers. That's now the art on the cards. It is straight Bonanza. Otherwise, Gen Con will be the pre-release for that as well. Well, that sounds amazing. I would also love if you could talk just for a minute or two about the game I just played a few minutes ago called Dice Hunters of Therion, I think. Yeah. So it's a Richard Garfield game. So, you know, the pedigree is pretty impressive. That's pretty good, yeah. Yes. And uh, it's a simple dice pool game. There's shades of kind of King of Tokyo, but it's but for, uh, for I think for me, it feels very streamlined. It's a very simple mechanic. Uh, you're trying to collect money, money you can get by capturing outlaws for their bounty. But dice also can give you money directly. Dice are also how you use to increase your dice pool. So you've got these three different elements that you're trying to balance of money, outlaws, and keeping your dice pool up. And it makes for a really interesting, like a, a Richard Garfield game always has this kind of subtle economy that goes on behind the scenes, and I think it really shines in this one. Simple 30 to 40 minute game for two to four players. Yeah, I really liked it, and it, it moved really quickly. Like, it was very simple to get into and, uh, and know exactly what you needed to do, but not exactly how you were going to get there. Right. There's always decisions to be made, and you know some of them are a little counterintuitive. You know, you don't want to necessarily 
go out with this huge military force to go after an outlaw because everyone else goes, hey, it's a free turn. I can go after money and dice and improve potentially beyond what your capabilities are. It's always best to kind of look at it and say, okay, what do I really need to be able to go after an outlaw, but still maybe keep a die or two and look for some extra ways to get some more dice or get some money in my in my pool. So it's a balancing act. So that one was very cool. That's uh, Dice Hunters of Therion, and that one's available now. That one is available right now, yes. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for talking with me, and uh, have a great rest of PAX. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Steve, who is the creator of Gem Blenders, which is on Kickstarter right now. Steve, tell us about this game. Gem Blenders is a brand new trading card game that I've been working on for about four years. It's a game where you mix and match gems, explore blend synergies, and command your heroes to outwit your opponent. The premise of the game is you have these elemental gems that you mix and match to create transformations called blends, which are power-ups to your four heroes that, are, that you start on the field. Throughout the game, you're going to be exploring a lot of different transformations and figuring out how they all piece together in this field of color to create a really powerful team and try to outwit your opponent. I really liked when we played it that the art is pretty simple, but it certainly gets the point across. And I love that the heroes all start with the Adobe-style transparency, quote-unquote, background to show that, like, they can do something, but it's not very much. Definitely, yeah. So I, I'm the creator of the game. I did all the art and I designed all the effects. So it's definitely like a, a project of with a lot of love behind it. <laughs> and it's like the aesthetic is from like a bunch of like lo-fi references, like going from like early video games, early internet, all that type of stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. And I really enjoyed like piecing it together and figuring out how it how it like developed over time as well. So I think it was a lot of fun. It, if your kids like Pokemon and you're not ready for moving up to something like Magic the Gathering, I think this is a good in-between that, you, you know, it's a trading card game, but you could buy just the starter packs. Well, you could kickstart just the starter packs, and that would be enough to play this game lots and lots of times. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we're excited by our product range on Kickstarter. We have starter decks, booster boxes, um, and definitely complexity-wise, it's in between the, the Pokemon and the Magic area. All right. Well, it looks great, and if this sounds at all interesting to you, you should check it out online. Where can we find you? Besides, obviously, Kickstarter and search for Gem Blenders. Yeah, we're on Kickstarter, and our website's gemblenders.com, and we're on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, everything. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Steve. Thank you so much. So I am here with uh, Crows, who's going to tell us about Pocket Paragons. Hi, yes. So Pocket Paragons is a three to five minute dueling game for two people. It's quick, easy. It's all about bringing your opponent from 10 health to zero health as fast as you can. Or you can instantly kill someone with an execute maneuver when they try to refresh their hand of cards. It uses kind of rock, paper, scissors mechanics in various ways, but it's a lot more complex than normal rock, paper, scissors. There's a lot of counterplay. If you know video game fighting games, we tried to base it off that. We have a lot of crossovers. Currently, we're working with Penny Arcade with Acquisitions Inc. for our new uh, Kickstarter, which is out right now. And we also have uh, partnered up with Rivals of Aether, the indie Smash Brothers-like game. We have a full box of that, too. 
we're returning. We got a full new uh, set of stuff that we're going back and reprinting all of season one in addition to our new content. That's pretty awesome. So we actually just played a game. I love how easy it is to get into the game. There's only uh, six or seven cards, depending on how things are going, in your hand. And like you said, it's kind of rock, paper, scissors. Both players choose one, you, you reveal, and you see what happens. Yep, that's correct. I would try to say that you'll hear rock, paper, scissors like, oh, then, you know, you just put rock, paper, scissors in the cards. What, what's that? But no, no, there's a lot more strategy and complexity into that sort of system. And a, a lot of that does come from video game fighting games where you do have that RPS mechanics. But in the way you move and the way you position yourself, Instead, it's all about how many cards you have in your hand that makes it position. Because as you play your cards, you're slowly running out of cards, and suddenly your opponent knows how much you have in your hand and what you've already played. So it kind of becomes kind of thinking mind game on both sides. I think this would be a great uh, introduction to some more complex battling games uh, with kids. Because, yes, it, there's some complexity here, but you only have a few choices and those choices don't change from game to game if you have the same character. Correct, but we have over 50 different characters in this game, and some are really simple to play, but some get drastically complex, and it really becomes like a, okay, it's kind of mind balance gamey, and here's the thing, just because one character is more complex than, you know, a one-star character, which is a simplistic character, that doesn't mean the one-star one character cannot be a three-star character. No, it's just about how complex it is each to play. Sure. So I think this is really cool. Um, you said that Season 2 is on Kickstarter now? Yes, it is. So Season 2 is comprised of two new boxes of eight characters each. One set is Acquisitions, Inc., partnered with Penny Arcade, and our other set is Space Lion, which is based off our other board game, which is kind of a tactical strategy uh, game, mixes kind of MOBA tactics oh, in yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you can go check out the Kickstarter now, or where can you go and look if you want to get the original Pocket Paragons? Well, you could visit the Solus Game Studio site, or just go to pocketparagons.com, check it out, or it's at your local game store. So yes, please check it out. All right, thank you very much. Okay. I am here with uh, Max from Resonim Games, and he's going to tell us about Glitch Squad, which is coming out in like a week and a half. Thank you. Uh, Glitch Squad is a classic style party game where you are forensic investigators trying to solve crimes, um, but the office cat Glitch is going to mess you up. Every turn, um, you are writing clues to help your teammate guess a secret word, but before your teammate gets to see those three clues, your opponent, playing the role of Glitch the Cat, gets to erase one of them and replace it with anything they want to throw you off. Then your teammate is going to guess. They've got 25 seconds. They can throw out as many answers as they want, but they have to remember that one of those three clues was not an original clue, and it is not to be trusted. Uh, I also noticed that when we played it, if you don't get it the first time around, you get a chance to do a forensics analysis of some sort. Some of them are helpful and some of them are uh, less helpful. <laughs> the story behind that is actually, this game is a collaboration that we worked on with the National Academy of Sciences. They came to us and said, which of our areas of research could you make a cool game about? And we looked at the research and we said, well, forensic science, of course. And so uh, what's going on in the game is, you know, if you fail to guess, if you get stumped by your opponent, you do get to use one of these uh, forensic analysis cards. Uh, and they are forensic tests like toxicology or forensic genotyping, which is DNA analysis. 
and they're going to do useful things for you. Like, for example, forensic genotyping lets you see the clue that glitched the cat your opponent removed. That can be really helpful to making your final guess. But some of them are less useful. For example, fingerprint analysis is you choose a clue and you can hear whether or not that was an added clue, whether that was one of the originals or not. That's kind of useful, but sometimes. I mean, it's kind of helpful, but yeah, yeah. But not always. And then some of them are really unhelpful. Like the polygraph test lets your opponent tell you which clue they added, but they're allowed to lie about it. <laughs> not That's, tremendously useful. I mean, it depends on who your opponent is, I suppose. Yes. And Maybe you can know read them. them. Maybe yeah. you can read them. But the concept behind these is that each of the powers of the forensics test cards are related to how effective those tests are in reality. So forensic genotyping and toxicology uh, have very high reliability when used in uh, when solving crimes. But despite what you think from TV shows, fingerprint analysis isn't a machine uh, analyzing fingerprints and matching them. It's actually just a person, a, a quote-unquote expert, comparing the two fingerprints and saying, are those a match? And there's been a lot of studies that show if they're comparing those things right after lunch, they're more likely to make a mistake. There's lots of human error involved in some of these. Sure, sure. And so that's what this game is secretly about. I think that's really cool. Um, so I think you told me that Glitch Squad is going to be available April 5th? April 5th. Comes out April 5th uh, or pre-order now. And look for that at Resonim.com. Resonim.com or your friendly local game store wherever games are sold. All right. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you. everybody it's uh it's day three of packs but it's day one of packs for me and i am here with jason maselli at the phase shift games booth under the tabletop tycoon banner how you doing jason yes very good how are you i'm i'm good i'm great i mean i only get to do one day of this so i'm, I'm glad that i get at least that but you picked, um you picked a busy day so i hope it's uh hope it works out <laughs> yeah tell me about it um so we're here to talk about flutter this flutter. is a game that just went on game Pound, i think this week yes tuesday this past week that's correct like four days ago so this is a game about pollen and yeah. it's a game about butterflies pollinators in general uh, butterflies um bees dragonflies uh moths uh, you know all of them and i i don't know if the video is actually on the game Pound page but you launched the game while at a oh, butterfly yeah. sanctuary <laughs> we did and that video is on the game found page so we were super proud to uh work with uh the place called magic wings in deer south deerfield massachusetts they have a, co a conservatory of over four thousand butterflies so literally we sat inside this conservatory we launched the game live and we played a copy of the game we played a version of it from beginning to end and butterflies were landing on our tiles and in our hair it was awesome <laughs> i mean i feel like there were some great photo ops there right there were absolutely yes <laughs> places like that really amaze me because like you think of butterflies and you don't really think of like these crazy elaborate things but there really are a, a lot of different species of butterfly that look incredible we just don't oh, see yeah. them in our area and that conservatory in fact has i mean they were explaining to me like oh yeah this one's from south africa and it's native to these regions and we're like holy cow and you have them here in massachusetts so it was awesome yeah there's so many different kinds yeah it's really really cool so talk a little bit about this game flutter the yeah. name of the game and kind of what you're doing here all right so the whole point of the game is to you know kind of create that entire pollination cycle so we have these tiles with all the pollinators right in the center of them hummingbirds uh ladybugs dragonflies butterflies all those things and then in the corners of these tiles are flowers flower petals 
and it's a tile laying game and each of the tiles is a very unique shape like trapezoids and parallelograms uh, which creates some really unique patterns on the table but what you're trying to do is lay these tiles on the table in such a way that you're matching the flower petals in the corner when you match color to color you get flower petals as currency which you can use later on what you're really trying to do though eventually is spend that currency spend those petals to close in some of these pollinators and what that means is that you brought that pollinator that critter that insect uh, all the flowers that it needs to do to complete the pollination cycle and when you do that you convert your petals for pollen tokens and those are the victory points at the end of the game I mean, one of the things that I really think makes this game look so unique is exactly what you said, the different shapes of the tiles. Right. So, like, I've, I'm looking right here. There's a dragonfly, which is this kind of parallelogram. Yep. And then your butterflies are trapezoids. But then there's, I, I don't know, is this a moth? Can you tell the difference it's between a moth? A, oh, so, <laughs> interestingly, on Tuesday, I learned that there actually is not a hard line of distinction between moths and butterflies, which I did not know. Oh, but okay. At least in our world, yeah, we see that as a moth. So, <laughs> because the wings are flat at the front as opposed to the, I don't know well, what it is. according to their education, like I said, there is no hard line of distinction between the two. I guess it's just that people have generally considered one type to be moths. Well, I'm going to assume that the but the butterfly sanctuary people probably know more they, than we do. They seem to know a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got, so you, yes, you have trapezoids for all these things, but they're also different sizes, too. Yes. So it really becomes an interesting kind of process to glue all this stuff together. Exactly. And that's what creates these amazing, like, arrays of patterns on the table. You know, you got triangles and you know, all these shapes. And there are some areas, you know, I talked about enclosing. You can enclose tiles, but that sometimes that also creates areas of, I don't know, call it dead space, where there's just space now that's enclosed. You don't put tiles in there anymore, but it creates this unbelievably unique look on the table. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very freeform. I think every yep. game that you play is going to look a little bit Absolutely. different. Absolutely, hugely different. So you are doing some cool things with this game, with every copy that you sell. Uh, some support and stuff like that. Talk about that. Absolutely, thanks. So uh, we're partnered with Save Our Monarchs Foundation. Every copy of this game that we sell through GameFound, we're going to donate a dollar to their cause. Now, obviously, they're all about helping to save the endangered monarch butterflies. We're actually here at PAX East and other conventions where we give out seed packets of milkweed seeds, which are the sole source of food for the monarch butterflies. So it's a good thing we're giving back, helping people to kind of you know do their part. Uh, they can help out. And then we're also giving, as I said, we're donating to Save our monarchs for every copy that we sell additionally very eco-friendly every copy of this game is uh, fsc compliant which means the forest stewardship council uh all of the the wood sources and paper sources come from responsibly sourced forests so this is all extremely green extremely eco-friendly awesome um so the the crowdfunding campaign started this week how long is it going to go uh, it goes until april 20th i believe so it's going for about a solid 30 days uh, GameFound, for those who don't know, is like Kickstarter. It's another crowdfunding platform, maybe a little lesser known, uh, but uh, it works the same way. We have a beautiful page up there, lots of animations. You can see, learn everything about the game. And we'd love to have your pledge. Awesome. So how much is a pledge for a copy of the game? Uh, $29 for the base game. And then we also have what's called the Meadowwood Edition, which is an all-wood version. So these tiles that you see here that are punch board, imagine them being full wood with uh, the wood grain showing through. Instead of the green background texture, you see the full wood grain, and then we heat print on that the pictures of all the butterflies and things and the petals in the corners. Unbelievably stunning. You can see pictures of it on the page. That's $59 for the metal wood version. I mean, that sounds gorgeous. I it, definitely am going to check a, that out. It's a real heirloom quality production. That's what we wanted it to be. 
Nice. That's awesome. So so when this interview comes out, there's still going to be two or three weeks left in the okay. campaign. Good. So um, since it's early on, I'm just going to say good luck. Thank you. And I hope it works out. The game is beautiful. It's really fun to look at. It's been fun to kind of watch the development process over yes. the last year or so. So I'm really excited to see this potentially getting into the hands of some people um, that are interested in playing a, a cool, unique game and also helping out those monarch butterflies. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the time. All right. Thanks. And we're back. I guess that's it. There was really cool stuff at PAX East. Yeah, PAX East is a really interesting show. It's really interesting to see what video game companies are doing, because I think I've said this before, I think they're maybe a decade ahead of board game companies in a lot of ways, although I think board game companies are catching up. So just seeing some of the stuff that goes on, especially since East is run by the same people who run Unplugged, yeah. obviously. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the fall with Unplugged. It's going to be the first time in years that we've been able to go as a family again. Yeah. So that'll be cool as well. This was the first chance that our daughter had to go to PAX East. So that mm-hmm. was fun. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's the show. We don't really talk about video games anymore on the show. And we didn't interview any video game people. Mm-hmm. But it was encouraging to me as a parent to see that more of the video game content that was out there was family friendly stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still plenty of stuff that isn't, but I think there's more that is coming to a wider audience. And there's definitely an effort to find ways to appeal to the non-capital G gamers out there. Well, and I also think it was nice seeing family-friendly games in that middle ground that isn't Nintendo and isn't teeny tiny indie game studios that are like three people. So like the mid-sized studios actually putting out stuff that I'd be happy to have our kids play. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'd love to know what you think about video games in the home. What kinds of games do you play? Play with your kids? Let your kids play? Whatever that might be. There's lots of different ways you can get a hold of us, as you hopefully already know. But just in case, let's run through them all. Well, let's see. You can find us on all the social media out there at Family Gamers AA. Yep, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and even YouTube. Of course, you can always email us, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. You can join the Family Gamers community on Facebook, if you are on Facebook. Mm -hmm. We have great chats there, and we started up a whole thread of games to play on Board Game Arena. Yeah, you want to talk about video games that are also board games, or board games that are also video games, or whatever it is. I don't even know anymore. Ah! But yeah. Peanut butter in my chocolate, chocolate in my peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Best of both worlds. Yeah. So you can join the community by going to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community or by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. We have t-shirts and hoodies and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. It's a great way to show a little bit more support for the show, too. We really notice when people buy things there yep we do another great way to support the show is to leave us a rating or review or both at apple podcast or wherever it is that you subscribe to the podcast because of course you already subscribe to the podcast you're listening aren't you hope so <laughs> the family gamers podcast is sponsored by first move financial go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers to learn how the team over at first move financial can help you pile up the victory points well, that's going to be it for us this week. Does that mean next week is a list show again? Very possibly. I, if it's not, we're going to get the chant in the chat. I know, again. I list, know. List, list, list. <laughs> well, you're going to have to wait until then to find out what it is. So until then, 
play games with your kids. kids.